Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Flagship Podcast, the Horns 24-7 podcast platform, bringing it to you every week. I am Chip Brown, joined by our fearless leader, uh, the captain of this ship, Horns 24-7 managing editor, Taylor Estes. Taylor, how are you doing? Oh, Chip, I'm doing just good. How about you? I mean, here we are in year three of the pandemic. (laughs) It's, uh, oh my heavens. And yet here we are in June and like, it's, we're going to wake up and big 12 media days are going to be the next day. I mean, I've lost all track of time, lost all track of time. I don't, it it goes slow and then it goes fast. And I think we're all losing our minds is basically what I've (laughs) come to realize. I think so too. I definitely agree. And but you know, there was some interesting news that came out yesterday. Uh, we are recording on Tuesday, so on Monday this week came out that the NCAA has almost a six-week plan that they're implementing to bring players back into the you know practice regime and all of that. So I think that's a good sign at least at this point. But it's kind of interesting right now, Chip, because we're seeing a lot of different reports about players. returning to campus for voluntary workouts and they're, you know, testing positive for coronavirus, even though a lot of them are asymptomatic. So I think it's really going to be interesting how this plays out because we know in football, you know, if a player has the flu, they still play. And if some player is asymptomatic and they have, let's say Trevor Lawrence is asymptomatic and is playing in the ACC championship game, and you test positive for coronavirus, are they going to sit him out? Right. They wouldn't if you had the flu. So it's really just kind of interesting times right now. I mean, it is really interesting times. Yeah. Because for, for kids who are super healthy, like these student athletes, the coronavirus is not life-threatening. Right. They can basically, you know, beat it and and then in 10 days they're they're they have antibodies right so yeah i I, it's a great question and man we are learning on the fly because there is no manual for this and and i mean as we've mentioned the last couple podcasts here lincoln riley's not bringing his his guys back until july 1st and Mm -hmm. feels like we get one chance to do this and the worst thing we can do is rush it and make mistakes. Who's to say that he's right. Or, I mean, the, the SEC is already doing voluntary workouts, right? They started on Monday. Mm-hmm. Texas is testing its players this week and will start as the other big 12 teams will on the 15th. And so we'll, we'll start hearing, I mean, Chris Del Conte has said he expects positive tests. Right. And and they will quarantine those players and and then they'll you know they'll have their time to get through the coronavirus and then have uh you know 10 days clear and and then they'll be back working out. So it's it is it's a interesting time. They're going to learn a lot in this process. I mean, Texas has three outdoor weight rooms that they've constructed at the Denius practice fields so that they can have more players going through the, the workout stations 
while being socially distanced um, and, and not all waiting in one weight room for, um, you know, for a player to get through and then sanitize everything and then the next player goes through. So um, they've got a plan. Everybody's got a plan. And then we'll see how the plan works. So it's, it is fascinating in, in kind of all the wrong reasons, but it's, it's fascinating. And the, the great thing is Taylor, you said that there's a six week plan for a ramp up to college football. As I say every week on the flagship podcast. And um, if you're a fan of the flagship podcast, we hope you'll go over to iTunes, subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Cause you know, we're, our bosses would be really happy with that. But <laughs> let's just be honest about it. Let's just, just cut it, call it what it is. Okay. We're, we're, we're like trying to suck up to our bosses, but it, I mean, it's happening. Everyone keeps asking me, is it really going to be a football season? Is it really going to be i I'm like, yes, they are proceeding with football. We are coexisting with COVID-19. Mm-hmm. That's where life is right now. Um, and then Taylor, you compound uh, the pandemic with, the the death of George Floyd, the protests, um, obviously that's impacted every um, college campus, every every coach uh, of a football program because uh, the majority of the student athletes are black. They are, um, you know, in pain right now, and I'm not going to pretend to know what that pain is. But uh, I was talking to Mike Harge, my co-host on. AM 1300, the zone, the morning show. And I, I said, when I get pulled over, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, am I going to have to take defensive driving? Mm -hmm. And I said, what are you thinking? And he said, I'm nervous as hell every time since I turned 16. And he said, I should never have to worry when I get pulled over. Am I going to see my daughter again? And that's real Taylor. I mean, that it just breaks your heart and but that's where we are and if if it took george floyd um being slowly choked to death over nine minutes in front of all of our eyes for all of us to wake up and realize we've got to do better and our elected officials and our city leaders need to do a better job of making sure our police force is on point so that the good officers don't want to leave. I mean, that's what we're hearing in Minneapolis. The culture is so bad in that Minneapolis Police Department. The city council there is talking about disbanding the Minneapolis Police Department and forming you know, their own um, police department without the police union because that's the other thing is that these unions, um, these police unions, if you get a bad apple or a bad culture in the police union, watch out because in Minneapolis, everything I'm reading, Lieutenant Bob Kroll, this guy is, is a bad, bad seed. And, um, you know, these police unions, they charge money of the officers to be in the union. They take that money, they go spend it on elected officials who, who then protect the union that's not how this thing should be working. It should be working where you have civilian oversight and there are checks and balances. I mean, there's no way that Derek Chauvin leaves his knee on George Floyd's neck for nine minutes, unless he feels like he's going to be protected. Mm -hmm. I mean, another officer said, Hey, I think we should roll him 
onto his side. And he's like, no, we're good. What? I mean, there's in bystander video, everything. I mean, it's, uh, it's disturbing. I, I hope people are listening with their hearts right now because, uh, because look, Brennan Eagles is one. He was the first, I don't know if he's the only, I think he might still be the only, um, college football student athlete in FBS who said, I'm not playing this year. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, with the way our society is and, and, you know, in his post he made on social media, he made it very clear that the, the system is broken and I don't want to be seen as just a, a football player. Um, you know, it's really troubling times. And, and, everybody in the Texas football family is supporting Brennan because look, there's no, there's no right or wrong way as to how to feel mm-hmm. here. And, you know, people ask me, do you think he'll come around? I'm like, I don't know. Right. I don't know. He might not play this year. Yeah. Um, and Taylor, you know, this, the college football student athletes have never had more leverage than they have right now. Right. Because they know now how important college football is to paying the bills of a college athletic department. Mm-hmm. You've got the pandemic where they could say, I don't feel safe. I'm not playing. Right. You've got all the social injust, um, you know, um, injustice going on. And that's causing Uh, players to come forward, former players especially, and say, you know what, this coach uh, said racist remarks or there was a racist culture. I mean, we're hearing that at Iowa with the strength coach, Chris Doyle, um, at Clemson, Dabo Swinney and an assistant coach are being asked questions about some language that they've used. it's an awakening happening right now. And, and I'm, I'm good with that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, some have compared it to 1968 and look, if, if it takes an awakening to bring about change and, and progress, um, then great. Let's, right. let's, let's make sure George Floyd didn't, uh, didn't die in vain and let's come together. I mean, we're seeing it in the NFL. Roger Goodell has come out and said, Hey, I'm with the players and I'm, I'm not even talking to the owners. I'm with the players. We're not going to let, um, you know, we're not going to let tweets from the white house divide us. Mm-hmm. We're going to be about the players. And, and so, you know, I, I would imagine we could see widespread uh, kneeling during the national anthem this year, locking of arms or something right. um, in college football and in the NFL this year. And I think everyone would be good with it. Um, so it's, sorry, that was a really, you know, long-winded, uh, you know, uh, ramble by me, but it, it's, it's a really important time. I mean, I can't say it enough. I've done a lot of national radio shows and people ask me about Brendan Eagles and Tom Herman had some really powerful uh, quotes this past week. It's an important time right now. And, and I know you feel that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think a lot of people were a little surprised by Brennan Eagles coming out saying that he's not going to play another snap until there is some type of, you know, until the race racial injustice ends. And, 
you know, that actually was something, and we reported this last week, but that's actually something that came up during Tom Herman's meeting with the players. Um, you know, sources, multiple sources confirmed a lot of the details of the meeting that Tom Herman spoke about last week on Colin Cowherd's show, that the meeting was supposed to be an hour-long meeting. It ended up being about three hours long. And Tom Herman gave the floor to the African-American players on his roster to speak openly. And he essentially told the white players to keep their mouths shut. And from what sources have told me, it got really contentious. A lot of the players went after Tom, too. You know, this was not just a kumbaya moment and everyone loving on each other. This was a very heated and very emotional meeting. And that's why it went three times as long as what they had originally scheduled. But, you know, I had heard from a few sources that the, you know, a way that the players said that they could be felt or heard, their voices heard if they, if they boycott the season and it was met with a lot of, you know, backpedaling from a lot of the players saying, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Like, there's no way I, I heard, you know, one defensive back was like, you guys do what you want to do, but I'm playing. You're not going to tell me I'm not playing the football season. So, um, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. It's definitely interesting times, but you're right. The players have so much leverage right now. And that's probably a good thing, you know, in this, in today's society that we're still having these talks about, you know, racist people out there, especially public officials and first responders. I mean, that's, you know, it doesn't mean that every single one of them is, but the fact that it is 2020 and this is still an issue and no real change has really been brought about over the last however many decades. And now, you know, I think we're, we're finally, hopefully, it's time for us, for people like you and me, Chip, you know, we're both white and um, we don't, we don't know what it's like for any of these athletes, any African-Americans, any people of color, of any race, of what type of injustice that they've faced in their lives. And so now it's time for us to listen. It's not for us to say what we think needs to happen. It's about us keeping our mouth shut, kind of what Tom told the, the white players, you know, keep, you don't talk. Let's hear what everyone else has to say. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, and then um, obviously the uh, the players and Tom Herman, some of the coaches uh, marched with members of APD from DKR to the Capitol. And, um, you know, I, there were some powerful things said mm -hmm. from uh, Jeremy Bohannon, one of the Austin police officers, Caden Stearns. Um, so uh, it's, it, it's an awakening. It's, it's a really important time right now in this country uh, in a way that I've never seen it in my 30 years covering um, sports and, and society, really. So I hope it leads to really powerful change in people's hearts. Right period. Um, and then hopefully it's a, you know, it, it's such a multi-layered um, situation. I've, I've kind of zeroed in on the police aspect of it because my 12 year old daughter said, dad, all this protesting and everything is happening because of the actions of one man, the man who put his knee on George Floyd's neck. And she's right and she's wrong. Um, it's, it's a series of events. As I wrote about um, this weekend, 
this past weekend for Brennan Eagles, a, a kid who grew up mostly with a black president, um, but also grew up with the Black Lives Matter timeline from you know 2012 really till now. It's been every year there's been um, an African-American who's been either the victim of police brutality or you know just racial profiling where they lose their life mm-hmm. and and this has got to stop and so um with that um we will move on to the the football portion of of the flagship um we are going to talk to charles amenahu who um so excited for charles amenahu former big 12 defensive lineman of the year and a fifth round pick of the Houston Texans, who's now about to have an increased role. Jadavian Clowney moved on. Charles Menehu, um, you know, got playing time because of that. He ended up with three sacks for the Texans last year. Two of them were strip sacks that were huge plays and all of his sacks were in games that uh, were victories and contributed to the victory. And of course the Texans were a playoff team last year. So really excited to talk to Charles Amenahu because uh, you covered him in recruiting. He's a, he's a, he's a good dude. He's, he is. he's uh and he's blessed, you know, he's blessed. Yeah, yeah. He, he got some physical tools and he, he knows it and he's, he's ready to, to make the most of his opportunity. Yeah. I mean, Charles Amenahu there are a lot of guys in that class, the 2015 recruiting class at Texas signed that were just really good guys. You know, Charles Menehue, Malik Jefferson, Deshaun Elliott, you know, all of those guys were some of my favorite recruits that I'd covered, but I've always liked Charles because he's outspoken. And I always appreciate that because I'm a pretty outspoken person for the most part too. And so I appreciate when other people will be able to, you know, kind of put their money where their mouth is a little bit. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to have Charles and Menehu join the show. So with that, Chip, let's bring in our very special guest, one of our favorite former Texas football players, Charles Menehu. Joined now by Charles and Menehu. I mean, Big 12 Defensive Lineman of the Year at Texas and then gets drafted by the Houston Texans. And what was it, Charles, it, your first play in an NFL game? <laughs> oh, was it a strip yeah. sack? I think – my second play, I believe, first or second play, one mm. of the two, was Talk about uh, yeah. impact. Immediate impact, right? That's what they're looking for when the, when the rookie comes in. But um, uh, definitely, maybe not when a, a fifth round pick comes in, but definitely like a guy that's is on this stuff and and so like how I was and and came in wanting to learn and came in trying to trying to uh, gain the respect of the guys on the team. So I, I figured, what? Well, let me do it quickly while, I, while I'm on this field. And oh, yeah. I mean, here you are. You're, you're uh, on the team with J.J. Watt, Whitney Merciless. And, and how much of – I mean, now be honest. This, this strip sack that happens on the second play of your NFL career, mm-hmm. was it some great move that you learned from, uh, you know, Watt or Merciless or – what was uh, it? It was basically just a, a long arm with power. Uh, that was kind of the sky report on the guy that we're, I was going against in that t- particular tackle. And um, I just was like, you know what? Let me. My length is what got me here. My length and explosive on the ball. So, what is um, your? 
Might as well use it. What was your arm length at the combine? I think 36 and a half. Longest, longest since 2013. Yeah, baby. 36 and a half. That'll, that'll get it done. Um, you know, obviously it's a, it's a difficult time for a lot of reasons, Charles. And before we get into all the, you know, stuff about, you know, the Texans and your time at Texas, obviously we've got, um, we got a pandemic going on and then, you know, George Floyd is murdered in front of all of us. And it's just, uh, it's just been a devastating time. I mean, um, I don't just put it into context, um, the way you see it. Um, I see it as another uh, example of injustice and, um, downright disrespect and, um, just a, a lack of care for the people of, for people of color, um, black men in America, and um, I just see it as just a, something, a repeat of action that people have gone away with. And even if it's on camera or not, but I think at this this time and this instance, I think people have literally had enough. I think the, the words that have been used a lot were tired, exhausted, worn out, fed up. Um, just, and I, me, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm pissed. Uh, people are tired, I'm, I'm mad, but like, I have to really center my emotions and, and um, no, understand the platform I have to figure that I am um, in Austin and figure that I want to be in Houston. I got to center and, and find a, a resolution and not um, put fuel onto the fire, even though that's what I really want to do. But I know I can't do that. That's not the smart thing to do. That's not the thing that uh, as somebody that's a, um, a recognizable face in the state of Texas needs to be doing. So um, I see it as a huge issue. It's been an issue for 400 years, um, probably 350 of those years and hasn't been documented, but now it is. And I think people are starting to figure out that uh, the police force thinks they can get away with things because of their badge. And me, I think that badge is just a cover up for who they really are, to be honest with you. But um, I just think it just has to stop one way or the other, um, whether it's who's in power in office and, the, and, and the, the, the branch below the president, or if it's from the people showing that, you know, we've had enough of this and we're going to express it, whether you like it or not, whether you, you think it's good or not. Um, so that's where I'm at. Um, I've been, I was on another kind of deal like this but on Instagram speaking on the same things earlier today. And I was just saying like, uh, I feel like, like I said, I feel like police things they can get away with it. And, um, I feel like even though it took too long for those, those four um, uh, murderers, I won't even call them police officers, murderers to get um, put in jail. I think the EMT people got to be put in jail too because they came in there and he still had a knee on his neck. The EMT person was checking his pulse like, are, are you dumb? Like he's he had a knee on his neck. So that whole, just I think the whole system, those people that have badges on them, I think um, they, they, they abuse the power that they're given and they know that there isn't a, a lot of ramification that can come from it. But if things change to where you do such like that, then you get the same kind of results. So you kill somebody, you die. Yeah. One way or the other, you gotta give a consequence that somebody gonna think about. Cause obviously the body cameras ain't enough. Right. Yeah, no, it's uh, uh, on the radio show here in Austin, I've been talking about, you know, we've got to get at the police force, whether it's the union, the, the police union chiefs or the police chief, the elected officials, we've got to do a better job of, of finding those, 
officers who've shown excessive force tendencies because even the good cops don't want those guys with them. They don't want to yeah. go on a 911 call with with that guy who's easily triggered or has some, you know, um, some history of showing this excessive force. And yeah. um, it's uh, I, I'm it's just uh, it's it's horrible. And I, I hope people listen with their hearts right now because uh, this is about humanity. I mean, exactly. Avoid the ignorant comments like we've heard. Oh, my gosh. That are in the same position as me, but um, have higher notoriety throughout the world. Um, we've heard several ignorant comments, and I just say it to that one, they're ignorant, and two, um, they're very so their their thought process is very self centered and selfish. That's how I kind of see it, and um, I hope with these kind of conversations, people understand that you got to take a step back and really understand why the people are are the way they are, and that's what I did. I went to a protest yesterday. Um, just to understand, I understand, but I want to see it from right there on the front line. Like, how do these people feel that aren't in the same position as me? Because when I get pulled over, am I terrified of police? I don't like police. I don't, you, people say those good cops, those bad cops. I can't, there's no sign on the cop's head for me to know if you do right. that. Right. I automatically assume that you think you can abuse your power. So I don't like you. But whenever I start telling, like when they once they figure out I'm a professional athlete or uh, they like the accolades I gained at UT, things simmer down. But that's not the same thing for my one of my homeboys. It's not the same thing. Like so one of my homeboys on the league, it's not the same. You know, it's not treated the same. There's levels to this, and there shouldn't be. Right. It should right. be level playing field for everybody, no matter your skin color. Right. Um, you know, I was talking to Mike Harge, my co-host, and I said, you know, it's different for for me when I get pulled over by the police and then it is for you. And I said, how are you when you get pulled over by the police? He said, I'm nervous as hell. And Mike's a tough guy played 13 years pro baseball. And he said, I've felt that way from the moment I started driving and every single time since. And that's, that, that it can't be that way. And I just hope people will listen. Um, and, yeah, I, I just uh, I appreciate you sharing your thoughts with us about that, Charles, because I know it's just a lot. You know, you're trying to get going here in your your second year in the mm -hmm. NFL after, uh, like we said, I mean, immediate impact. You had three sacks last year, all in victories, two of them strip sacks um, and, you know, on a playoff team. And and now they're ready to to give you more responsibility. Just talk about. Uh, what you learned in year one and and where you want it to go from here? Uh, what, what, I, what I learned in year one really was just that uh, it's different, first of all. It's different. Um, my technique, uh, I got improved. I had to improve myself as an athlete, my body, uh, my phys just how I am physically. Um, because I think mentally I'm there, honestly. I think mentally I'm I'm at a professional, high professional level where I study film. I break down the guys that I, I go against. Um, I remember when I was telling the younger guys before I left, I told them, like, the starting five offensive line, I got notes on all five of them how to beat them. Just by watching every game beforehand and just seeing what, is, what, when, what, what, what defeats them and what doesn't. And whatever defeats them, do I have that in my arsenal? You know what I'm saying? So I've been doing this film studying. The only thing I feel like in the NFL that I got catch up that I mastered in college 
was recognizing that what's going to happen play-wise before it ever happened. In college, my senior, I knew what was going to happen to me before it ever happened. So I was able to play with instinct just and also because the defense we're playing. If you're not – that defense that we're playing forced you to read and react as far as the D-line. Um, but for me, I never – I wasn't really reading and reacting. I knew what was happening, so I just – I went off instincts. I played off complete instincts. So in, in the league, um, as far as really run plays, I wasn't able to be like, oh, okay, it's, it's, it's about to be stuttered. Oh, okay, it's about to be uh, um, a, a stretch play or, or a toss play. I wasn't able to recognize that by formation because it's new. It's new for me. Right. So this year in the run game, particularly, I want to be able to recognize formations, recognize different things like that in order to know, like, okay, I'm about to get double team, I'm about to get scoop block, I'm about to get down block, I'm about to get reach block, um, this tight, this, 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 cut split receivers they cut down and they're gonna toss. I gotta be aware of those kind of things like that. And in the passing game, I just think I had to improve on my technique. I think I a lot of times with my three sacks, um, the first two were just straight off of just length and working. The then the Tennessee one was off technique, but I've tried that move so many times and just never got the complete inter of intricates of that move to be able to do it on anybody and win all the time. Um, Aaron Donald does it and wins most of the time. Um, uh, Ngakwe on the edge does it and wins most of the time. So like, but you can, I can translate these things from being an inside pass rusher and win too. So I'll watch some guys and take some things that I could do. Uh, speaking of what I did this offseason, watch some guys and take what I can do also by trying to improve and then also trying to improve my body with Jeremy um, to be a better athlete. And you combine that with better athlete, um, with more attention to the details of what he's trying to do and the sky's the limit. Here we go. So the last time we talked to you, of course, big 12 defensive lineman of the year when you were at Texas mm -hmm. um, and you were, it, it drove me crazy that my man Orlando was playing you in the four eye, but you know, what, what did that, and, and obviously when he would turn you loose to rush the passer you you got to the quarterback I mean I'll never forget the Baylor game oh, they drive yeah. all the way down the field they get to the 17 yard line and then and then he says Charles Charles okay I need you Charles and you 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 won the game I mean you pressured Charlie Brewer three times and and he couldn't complete the pass but what what did you learn from playing in the four eye where you're getting double teamed and you're not on the edge that maybe helped you in the NFL or you tell me it's crazy. Um, I did not – I didn't hate playing in the fourth. I just didn't like it college-wise, playing it at the, as much as we did it at certain times that we did it. Um, third down would be in four hours. makes no sense. Um, we didn't emphasize games as much back at, at UT. And in Houston, we run the same defense. only thing that's different is the nose is shaded on the center, and, and at UT, the nose is, is head up in the old defense. In Houston, I'm a four, I play four. <laughs> I play three. I rush from the three. I play in the five. I rush from the zero. Only difference is Houston uses me all over the place. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I'm not – it's not that I'm playing the four only and I'm not – and if you're in the four, we have things that help out with the pass rush that makes it okay. So I just – being a four in college made me get used to just doing it in the league and understanding the techniques and being able to understand the blocks I'm going to get. Um, and then pass rush-wise, uh, the, the difference in the league is like they let you go. 
they let you go. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's one, it's beat your guy one-on-one. -on -one. Run some, run games. It's not a whole bunch of, like, trying to, like, trick people and do a, and rush guys that don't need to be rushing and things like that. And if if a DB is rushing um, in the league, most time you're going to be rushing where he's going to be free. So that is the, that's kind of the difference. And, I mean, I'm not going to say everything was 100% bad at UT because they did put me inside and what do you know, I'm playing inside in the league. But difference, just for me, the difference is that in the league, they put you in positions to win. Like, you got to beat this guy, go win. Yeah. Um, in college, it was a bunch for us. The D-line was like, you guys take up the blocks and let everybody else win. And then sometimes we'll rush you to, like, I made an emphasis, like, yo, listen, like, these guys in college not beating me. They're not stopping me. Yeah, um, right. In the league, it's a little different. And then also you got J.J. and Witt on the edge. So who am I to be like, nah, put me on the edge. Rushing inside, I've learned to, I've, I, to, learn to love it, really. I feel like I can make a lot of weight, a lot of headway rushing inside that three tech and rushing at zero and understanding how to run games and being better up here to be able to be a pass rusher, a better pass rusher in that. But rushing with three tech, I, I liked it last year. Um, I had success. Um, so, who's who's helped you the most among your Texans teammates? Um, I would say JJ and Whip. Um, JJ a lot this offseason has really helped me. Um, he he kind of noticed that I was trying to uh, revamp my body, and I talked to him about that um, before the season ended. And he was just kind of telling me, like, you know what I'm saying? You can you can work all your pass rush moves, but if your body isn't physically able and capable to do those things, then it won't work. No matter how much you train yourself, if you're not stronger, you're not going to be able to bull rush better. Your, your, your punch ain't going to be as strong. Your, your, it's not going to be as violent. If you're not more explosive, your get off won't be anybody. You can work it, but you got you got have those those muscles twitching and firing. So if you don't work on your hip mobility, you won't be able to bend any better than what you're doing anyway, no matter how much you practice. So um, those are the things that he helped me on, and Wit was just helping me really on this game to understanding um, how to run them properly. Understand because Wit kind of did the same pass rush role I have in Houston. Wit did that, and that's the year Wit got 12 sacks. You know what I'm saying? So. Uh, those guys have been huge help for me, man. Uh, DeMarcus Ware as well. That's what I'm going to work with in Dallas um, next week, be in Dallas for a couple of weeks working with DeMarcus Ware um, to finalize and fine-tune those new with – with the new body that I think I've, got, I've created for myself. Now understand, okay, how to use it in the past which moves I think are going to be, guys. How'd that come about, the, the DeMarcus Ware connection? Um, so – uh, PFF posted that I had the most pressures by any interior defense alignment in my draft class. And he saw that and he hit me up and asked me, like, yo, if you want to, you know what I'm saying, get right, hit, like, I'm here. And I've talked to DeMarcus Ware previously at um, Von Miller's Password Summit that he had um, a couple months after I got drafted. I went to that and I talked to him there and just, like, talking to him and understanding, like, dude, this dude has a lot of knowledge. Like, it's crazy, honestly. Uh, that's that's awesome i mean the uh, fact that he reached out to you saw that i mean that's that's pretty cool right there yeah i mean it's just uh, a product of you do what you need to do people are, like guys that are going to see that you have potential and want to help you and uh, i didn't even know that i had the most pressures um at, at any interior lineman in my draft class so 
uh, that made me feel good, but also just made me seem like those pressures can be turned into sacks. Well, and I heard that you reached out to Colin Johnson right yes. away after he went in the, in the fifth round. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had advice for him. What, what did you tell him? Um, yeah, no, as soon as I saw Colin, I was, I was watching, I solely only watched day three just to see where Colin was going to go. Cause I feel like Colin had the same, um, kind of same kind of journey I did. Um, Colin Jr., people were listing out the first round pick. And, um, the end of his junior into going to the senior entries, derail things. Um, people trying when, they, when somebody has you slide so high, they're ready to pick you down. You feel what I'm saying? And if you give them any reason, they'll do it. So um, when I kind of figured that Colin wasn't going to go in the first, second, or third round, um, I reached out to him and told him, listen, bro, like, it doesn't matter where you get drafted, bro. Um, it only matters what you do when you get there. Um, I use myself as an example. Like, listen, like, everybody and their mother knew I should have been drafted in the first three rounds. Anybody that just had – if you had no idea about football and just watched <laughs> – my senior year and the whole process, you would probably have bet your whole life saving I was going the first three rounds. I didn't. It's okay. Um, and I told Colin, like, yo, same thing for me, bro. You got to channel whatever um, energy that you felt after the fact that you got called. Like, once you get called, you're happy. Like, it don't matter where you go. But after the fact, you start thinking, like, damn, all these dudes went ahead of me. And it bothers me. Like, it really, really bothers me. So when you work, you just think about how many guys want to hit you and how much, if we're being real, like the money that you thought you were going to get, you didn't get. So how do you, how do you get that back? You have to play well. The organization has to think you're a good te- you're a team guy, um, you're a hard worker, you're a guy that's going to come in and do it and learn. So if you care that much about um, being overlooked, you'll channel all, channel all that energy into that work, and the product is going to be – a player that is hungry, um, humble, but ready to go and ready to snap at anybody and show their worth. Are you in touch with anyone else um, who's still at Texas? Joseph Asad. Yeah, what I mean, give tell me what you think about him and what do you like about him? Um, well, you know what I'm saying? I kept it real with Joseph all throughout the year about how – um, at when when the opportunity he had to rush, how he had to be better, because Joseph has all the physical tools, all of them. Um, Joseph athletically is a first round pick. Now, um, athleticism can get you so far, and it can get you a, be a, it can make you a first round pick. But when you're an edge guy, you have to show that you can be the guy consistently with that athleticism and sack the quarterback, and that's all that matters. Um, so last year he wasn't given those opportunities for whatever God knows why Um, he wasn't given those opportunities to rush. The only time he was is the, um, what they went Alamo Bowl. Yeah. against Utah. Yeah. You've seen a disruptive, (laughs) just a disruptive force. Three, like three, I, 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 I was actually annoyed because I never got three sacks in the game. I came close, made the game. Kansas, Kansas State. I came close several times to getting three of them. But I never did it, and he did. And he had, like, what, six or seven tackles? Like, just was ridiculous numbers. And I told him, listen, bro, if you want to be drafted the first round, just do that again. Do that multiple times in a year. 
and there's nothing that will stop this man from being a first round pick. And I just, he just, he just taught, I, I, I lead him, I help him throughout this process of understanding one, what it takes to, to dominate at the college level, but then also what the NFL is looking for in terms of his specific position. Yeah, he had uh, six tackles for loss in that game, and it that almost got uh, our buddy Tim Crowder's school record, which is seven tackles for loss in a single game. And it's interesting. I think I'm right in saying this. You worked with Tim Crowder a little mm-hmm. bit when you were in Austin, and Joseph has two. What uh, what? How how did my man Tim Crowder help you? Um, Tim definitely helped me with like my hands. Tim definitely helped me with um, just like understanding. Like, listen, like this, there might be a long drive, and you're gonna have to be your hands have to be consistent in those long drives. So he would work us, man, and it was, it's always good work with Tim. Tim is a guy that you played the position, so he understands. So a lot of knowledge from him and and um, that I got while working with him. What um, when you look back now on your time at, at Texas, Charles? What uh, what stands out? What you know? What do you feel like was the you know the the I guess the best and the worst part of it? What uh, what stands out? Um, the best was definitely that Sugar Bowl win. Um, coming in as an underdog um, in that kind of prime time setting and the team um, doing what they need to do and physically dominating Georgia. Um, uh, so that for sure, that the team aspect was definitely the highlight for me personally, though. Um, I think it was definitely, when I look back, people, people look at the, the Oklahoma, the Oklahoma game, the Kansas uh, State game, uh, games like that where I just was dominating the game. But, like, when you mentioned that Baylor game in that last minute, um, I truly felt like I was possessed. Um, The way I was timing the snaps and just beating the guy, and I was dog-tired. And to consist – and that that game – was uh was was crazy for me honestly yeah you i mean you won the game and that there's no two ways around it because brewer's a really good quarterback he's shown that baylor was a really good team last year and and they were coming and you you shut them down that was uh that was an unbelievable um and you know, final three play sequence. The worst, i think the worst was losing the big 12 championship game that was probably the worst not even the kansas game um, being that close to being a like the Super Bowl, being the Super Bowl champion is great, but like that's a bowl game. To say that you won your conference um, is something that like that goes down everywhere in your school, and that probably was the worst feeling. I mean, because I had stomach virus that game, the whole game I had stomach virus, still got set, but have stomach virus and being that close to winning and just losing, that was probably the worst. Well, and you're such, this is what I remember from the sugar bowl was Sam Ellinger coming to the podium and saying, Charles Amenahu just told me it's my team and, and you gotta, you're not done yet. You got to get that big 12 championship. And, you know, you, you Roy Miller, our guys, I think, are some of the more underrated leaders who've come through Texas. 
uh, in the last decade um, or more, honestly. But, um, you know, talk about that. What, you know, when you said that to Sam and, and, and now here's Texas, four-year quarterback, 16 starters back, Joseph Osai leading the defense. Um, you know, just this is, uh, this is the year that I sort of pointed to um, because you had all that experience coming together. Give me your thoughts on, on the Longhorns and, and what you think they can do. Um, I just, for me, I'm, I'm interested in seeing um, how the defense is. I think you look, you got to look at like the teams that have been consistently good. Um, Alabama, Ohio State. Um, unfortunately, I got to say Georgia's been cons- consistently good. Unfortunately, I got to say Oklahoma's been consistently good. Um, Clemson. You look at those teams, you look at them up front, offensive line and defensive line, except Oklahoma. O- Oklahoma's defensive line is not who I'm pointing at. But those other teams, up front, they're dominant. That's what's, to me, that's what's going to be. That's what's going to be the question for me, just outside of just being an alumni, because I'm going to keep it real regardless. You know what I'm saying? Like, the question for me is how are they going to be up front? Uh, are they got to come out there and be physically imposing guys and look at the opponent and be like, we're going to squeeze the life out of you all day and let you know that we're doing it all day. Just like that LSU team, the LSU team, that championship team has so much swag, talk so much shit. <laughs> about everybody. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Caleb Vaughn is, is uh, one of my, with David, so he's with athletes first, he's with my agent. And he got, he, he got this, he got attitude to him. Like, you can tell, like, that's the guy when he's on the field, he thinks that he, the hot, he's the, the hottest thing since, since sliced bread. And all them boys feel like Jamar Chase, Jamar Chase, like, <laughs> he posts something on Instagram. He at the guys that he was just stiff for a minute. Like, you know what I'm saying? They got that kind of swag to him. Joe Burrow, you can tell Joe Burrow got – when he got drafted number one, you can just tell the guy has so much swag about him. Yeah. That's what you got to have. You got to know that you're better than the other team, and then you prove it by pl- your play. And then after once your play is beating them on the, scoreboard, on the scoreboard, then you just tell them, like, I, we told you. That and plus – being physically imposing is the two things that I think Texas needs in order to beat Oklahoma. Because Oklahoma got all the swag in the world. Yeah. They, you can tell from the, from the guys that were drafted to the guys when I was there and played them, they, they have all, their head coach, Coach Riley be feeling himself. And he has all, he has every right to it. You know what I'm saying? So like, I think, the up front, they're gonna, they have to show that they can be physically dominant and imposing. And then they got to have that swagger, like, poke your chest down and be like, yo, we're, I'm the man. I'm going to show you why. So that's what I had been missing for a long time. I tried to bring that at UT. Um, that's why I, was, I wasn't really the rah-rah, like, bring everybody together in speech. But on that field, bro, don't put a mic on me because you're going to be censoring me all day. <laughs> And I'm gonna show you by my play, and that's what, I, and that's my senior. That's what I did. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What, um, what's, uh, what's something we don't know about? Um, I'm gonna ask you about your coaches. What's something we don't know about Tom Herman? So I don't know. What you don't know? What I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. 
what uh what about bill o'brien what's something we don't know about bill o'brien is he like obi has a sense of humor for sure obi has a, has a has a has a sense of humor and it's, it's actually funny so my some people might think he's just serious all the time but obi really got a sense of humor so he'll lighten things up every now and then oh yeah obi cool bro yeah yeah, yeah i definitely I like I like I like I like it over there a lot more. Yeah, yeah I got I you. Know. I got you. Um, what? Uh, so, tell me about life in the in the NFL now. You know, I see some guitars hanging behind you. How? Uh, what are you What are you doing to to take care of yourself now and and take care of yourself in the future? You know what I mean? Um, I mean definitely like putting in the extra work. Um, Again, I've got a chef now. Uh, nice. My amazing massage lady, Miss Julia. Um, my trainer, Jeremy. So you gotta definitely you treat your body the temple because whatever you put in your body is what you're gonna put out on the football field. And um, and my goal in the NFL is just to be the best team that I can be first and foremost, then be the best player I can be so that my family never has to worry. So, you know, uh, when you, when you, when those are your, your driving forces, you'll do anything to achieve those goals. Yeah. I mean, that it's great that you're investing in yourself. I remember I, when I covered the Cowboys, Emmett Smith would go meet with this, uh, chiropractor mm -hmm. and he said that that guy prolonged my career. Yeah. And he said, Oh, I mean, he, he said that was absolutely essential and you figure that out you're going into year two 100 mm -hmm. that's uh that's what it's all about charles charles what uh what uh, you know you're talking to longhorn nation here what uh anything else that you uh you know you're thinking about with regard to your time at texas or what these guys are are gonna have to go through coming out of a, a off everyone's going through a shortened off season because of the pandemic but you know, you always have good words of advice. You, you obviously grab Sam Ellinger right after the Sugar Bowl. You grab Colin right after he gets drafted. What, uh, what's, what's the message? Um, first and foremost, for Longhorn Nation, I just want to tell you guys, to so rally behind the players. Because um, if, you, if you're honest, majority of the team is black. So I would say rally around the players. Um, if you you're gonna support them when they got that helmet on, scoring touchdowns and helping keep the city up, and you gotta support them when they ain't got no helmet and jersey on, and it's just them. Um, it's a it's a Caden Stearns, a Joseph Sides, a Josh Thompson, and it's not seven and twenty nine and forty six. That's how you gotta look at it. Um, so if if you guys really bleed orange and really care about the players beyond just. Um, letting the little gun thing go off at DKR and all that good stuff, then um, just make sure that you're behind the players tenfold and leave your ignorance at the door. Yeah. Uh, uh, but as far as the guys coming in for this year, um, I would say hopefully that you guys have been working. I think y'all have. I've seen it. Um, I've been around a little bit. Um, hopefully you guys are working. And then don't, like, don't let this be a distraction to the man goal. Because there's going to be some guys on some teams, you know what I'm saying, they ain't been organized. So y'all getting a taste of how the NFL is. They ain't been organized. It's not, it's nobody's been together. So um, uh, all those guys watch the draft. Um, 
they'll be lying to you. They came in and said that the NFL isn't their goal for most of them. So if you got a lot of guys that their goal to the NFL, that means you're going to play really well. So if you play real well and you combine 11 other guys that want to play really well, your team's really well. A la example, LSU. All them boys, they probably they, they all wanted to go in the league. They played really well. They beat the hell out of everybody. Went to the National Championship game, won, and then they all got drafted. <laughs> it's crazy how this thing works, but that's yeah. how it works. Yep. You know what I'm saying? And the coaches backed all of them, I guarantee it, on making those dreams come true. So I'm also speaking to the coaches at UT too. What do you like about Sam what do you like about Sam Allinger? Um, he, I mean, he leads, he definitely leads by example. Um, I think as a quarterback, he has to talk a lot, but I think on the field, he definitely leads by example. To me, a leader is not a, somebody that can gather you around in a circle and start screaming and then you go out on the field and you suck. A leader is somebody that, you know what I'm saying, shows by example, does what they need to do, plays. And that's how I think I see as a leader. Um, some, an athlete that I look up to as a leader is LeBron James. And LeBron James comes on the court and he balls like crazy, boy. So you do that, you have room to speak. And I think that's I think that's what Sam does. And um, I feel like people, the guys respect him. So he needs to rally everybody and do that. You know what I'm saying? And, and have a, um, a Heisman-like season. Well, last thing, what uh, what's it like playing with Deshaun Watson? Hey, before my boy, Deshaun is, um, Deshaun's a wizard, bro. <laughs> um, things I've never seen in my life either. Um, and Deshaun got the swag too Deshaun is, is also a guy like even though Deshaun like he again we got the same age and Deshaun like three four years older than me so uh, but I look up to Deshaun just like damn I'm, like, I want to be like that too you know what I'm saying like got the swag got the persona but on the field you're a monster um, he's a guy that everybody in the league respects um and I'm glad I'm able to surround myself around a lot of the guys that I like that. Um, well, but yeah, Charles, dude, he don't do a lot of talking, bro. He, he just he goes out there and balls. He does bro. a lot of doing, yeah. Well, listen, we're cheering you on, man. You're, uh, you're a great dude. I'm so happy to see you having success. I know you're going to work your butt off to have more. And, uh, and let's stay in touch, all right? 100%. I appreciate you. Appreciate Taylor being on. Um, anytime you guys want to speak and, and we, we can get things rocking. Hey, you're the best. We'll talk soon. There he is, Charles Amenahu, getting it done for the Houston Texans, baby. Um, and the uh, flagship podcast rolls on. Always great to hear from our guy, Charles Amenahu. We really appreciate him joining our podcast this week. And Chip, you know, I thought something that was pretty cool to hear him say about the NFL draft, you know, he was expecting to go much higher than the fifth round where he was picked up by the Houston Texans. And another Texas player, Colin Johnson, was in a similar situation this year. And it was kind of interesting to hear Charles talk about his conversation with Colin after he was drafted um, by the Jacksonville Jaguars to just kind of be like, listen, this is, you, you got, you got in now it's time to really prove yourself. And I thought that was a really interesting and really cool thing of Charles to do for one of his former teammates. Yeah. I mean, he, he sought out Colin, you mm -hmm. know, and said, Hey man, I, I got taken in the fifth round. Don't let anyone tell you that you're, you know, that you don't have a great opportunity. You do have a great opportunity. So just make it yours. And, and, and I, I just appreciate Charles and Menehu for looking out for others, 
yeah. you hear so many times where players don't, they don't help either college teammates or, or pro teammates. Cause it's all about a business and I'm just trying to get mine. And mm-hmm. it's refreshing to, to hear Charles Menehu look out for, for Colin and, and Charles is, you know, a guy who really, um, you know, appreciates, you can tell he appreciates the help he's getting from JJ Watt and Whitney Merciless and, uh, with the Texans. So man, I'm cheering for Charles Menehu. This guy, uh, he bit his tongue quite a bit at Texas Taylor when he was playing in that four eye. Mm-hmm. And, and then when they turned him loose, like in that Baylor game that he talked about, when I asked him what, you know, what was a high, your highlight at Texas? And he said that Baylor game yeah, where they barely hung on to win at home. Uh, Charlie Brewer had three shots from the 17 into the end zone in the final minute. And Charles Menehu got the pressure on every play mm-hmm. and just, he, he said I was possessed and yeah. Texas fans will remember that. Mm-hmm. And, and he had, he didn't get a chance to really rush the passer until they were, you know, backs against the wall in their own red zone. So uh, the guy's got talent. He's got, he's got gifts, physical gifts, 36 and a half inch arms. Woo. Yeah. Uh, and he's making the most of it now. So uh, I'm real excited to see what he does with the Texans. Uh, and his position coach, Anthony Weaver, is now the defensive coordinator for the Texans. So he feels good about this. He feels good about where where things are headed uh, in this under the uh, new leadership of of Anthony Weaver as the defensive coordinator. Right. It's crazy to think 36 and a half inch arms. I mean, I have really long legs and my inseam's like 35 and a half. So his arm is an inch longer than what my inseam is of my legs. And I have long legs. Like, that's not a normal inseam. That's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Well, and he talks about that long arm rush where he's, you know, holding the offensive lineman away from him and his body's at an angle where the offensive lineman can't get hands on him. Right. And and he's starting to perfect that move and – and then he's got to add others to it, counters off of it. And, and uh, I mean, he's got, he, he's got a great opportunity mm-hmm. uh, to learn from some really great players and, and carve out a role for himself. I mean, DJ Reader, who just left the Texans in free agency, was a fifth-round pick out of Clemson and is now uh, getting paid, I think, $15 million a year by the Cincinnati Bengals and and so the Texans drafted Ross Blacklock from TCU to replace Reader. And now Charles is trying to help him. Right. So it's going to be fun. There's some Big 12 flavor now on that Texans defensive line. Right. Yeah, for sure. All right, Chip. Well, let's go to our weekly segment, our love it or leave it segment. I have some statements I'm going to pose to you. So you got to tell me if you love it or leave it. So you ready to go? Love it or leave it. Let's go. All right. All right, so the first one is love it or leave it. People are sleeping on Texas running back Keontae Ingram. Yeah, I love this. Um, I think the Texas running back room is going to be really good this year. Mm -hmm. And that's even with Jordan Whittington leaving that room. I mean, Jordan Whittington was my guy last year. I had him as the leading rusher on the team. 
That's like how much I strikes a kid. <laughs> oh, wait. Because <laughs> of death. Here we go. Um, but, you know, you got Keontae Ingram, you got Rashawn Johnson, who's one of the best stories from a sheer willpower, just desire, drive, won't take no for an answer. Team player. A, yeah, team player and has the respect of his teammates. I mean, how could you not just the way he runs the ball and how he attacks everything. And then you add Bijan Robinson and you asked me about Keonta Ingram. Keonta Ingram was up and down mm-hmm. when he was up. Oh my gosh. Spin moves, great balance, great vision, dynamic can catch the ball. And sadly last year gets rained on for Keonta Ingram because of the drop touchdown against LSU. And I think he was so hard on himself that he had trouble shaking that off. He had trouble just getting going again. And then when he did get going, it was really, really good. So, yes, I love it. I think people are sleeping on Keontae Ingram. This guy's a really talented guy. And now that room is so competitive, it's going to push him. Um, He's not going to have time to to wallow or anything. He's just got to. He's just got to bring it all. Yeah. I love this too. And I think, you know, with Keontae Ingram, a lot of people I feel like are forgetting about him, how you had said, you know, they're talking about Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson and, um, you know, what they could do as a kind of one-two punch freshman, sophomore duo. But I'm going to always, I'm going to rely on my, our guy, Gabe Brooks, the Midlands recruiting analyst for 24-7 he has rarely ever steered me wrong when it comes to his analysis on players. And he was the first one of, if not the actual first person who ever really brought Keontae Ingram's name onto the scene when he was playing at Carthage. And Gabe knows players. He knows that he knows the true sure. raw talents that these players have. And Keontae Ingram is one of Gabe Brooks favorite players ever. And so Gabe's never st- steered me wrong. Gabe, buddy, don't steer me wrong this time, but I think I think Keontae Ingram's not getting anywhere near the respect that he deserves. I think that this could be he could be really poised for a solid junior year. And I'm not saying that other other you know running backs won't get the opportunity to get the ball. I think that this is a good situation that Texas has. It's a situation Texas hasn't had in quite a while um, to have multiple options at running back. I mean, the reason why Roshan Johnson was playing running back last year was because of injuries reason why Jordan Winnington went in to fill in at running back was because of injuries. Now Texas actually has a number of bodies there. I think that, but I think that this is going to be led by Keontae Ingram. And I think people are going to remember why people were so hyped on him coming out of his freshman season, going into his sophomore year this year. Yeah. And you look back at the 05 national championship team mm-hmm. and the running back room was Jamal Charles, Selvin Young, um, Ramont Taylor, Henry Melton, all those guys made plays mm-hmm. in that season that were critical. Right. And there was enough to go around. Mm-hmm. I mean, even in the national championship game, Selvin Young scored on the, on the, the knee down touchdown. Um, Ramont Taylor scored a touchdown that game. Jamal Charles had crazy runs in that game. So you can never have enough talented running backs because you're going to need them all yeah absolutely especially if you play in a league like the big 12 where you're 
on the field for how, what, 80 snaps a game or more. I mean, yeah, you need. And you these need guys that. can catch it. Yeah. And, and that's a big deal in Tom Herman's offense. Now being commanded by Mike Yersich. Mm-hmm. The yes, wild man. <laughs> All right, Chip. Star Wars figures to uh, <laughs> diagram football plays. Love that guy. Yeah, that's too good. Um, should we call him Mike Vader? Mike no, Vader. Let's go. Like the, I've never seen Star Wars, so I don't know. Uh, Luke Skywalker. We'll call him Mike Skywalker here. <laughs> He's a Wait, good one, right? <laughs> so you've never seen Star Wars? I've never seen Star Wars. Not one. People. People. Not the originals, not the new ones. I know. My brother basically wanted to send me whenever I brought that up. Yeah. I think you'd be fine just seeing the original three. Yeah. All the other stuff, I know people are going to be like, what? No. But those three with Jar Jar Binks, oh, God. <laughs> I'll never get those hours back. Those were terrible. Yeah. <laughs> just go watch the original three. Okay. With Skywalker and Princess Leia and R2D. I mean, all these iconic characters that you've never seen, like Chewbacca, Mm-mm. Darth Vader. You don't even know the context of these people. I know. I mean, I, I do know like the general deal, like Darth Vader is good Luke's versus father, evil. And yeah, <laughs> like, basically the, the basic knowledge that you would need, I probably do know. But I've been on the Star Wars ride at Disneyland, so I know a little bit about it. Okay. Well, I can't talk. I'm just now watching Breaking Bad finally. Yeah. That's and I can't stop watching it. It's like I I I'm I don't even know what to say. It's like I know. It's like addicting like to the meth or something, right? How about that? Like that? How about that? (laughs) Like that little tie in there? All right. All right, moving right along. Away from drug talk here now. (laughs) Chip uh Texas had back-to-back Big 12 Defense Alignment of the Year in 2017 with Puna Ford and 2018 with our guy Charles Amenehu. Love it or leave it, Texas will take home that award in 2020. I'll tell you what, they got a really good chance. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a total homer right now because I love my man Keandre Coburn. Mm-hmm. Snacks. Snacks. <laughs> I love that I, nickname. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. I love, I love me some snacks. He's just so tough and he's so determined. And uh, I loved it when we had Michael Griffin on the flagship podcast. And by the way, please get over to iTunes, subscribe, and go back through our, all of our flagship podcasts because, you know, I'd like to think that we're killing it with the guests, you oh, know? Oh, yeah. Uh, and then you know, feel free to throw that five-star rating for our bosses. But we had Michael Griffin on, and he did a great analysis of the entire defense. All I mean, from defensive backs to linebackers to defensive linemen. And he said, I remember first watching Keandre Coburn, and the guy was on the ground all the time. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what the hell's going on with this guy? And he said he didn't know what he was doing. He, he was just trying to get by on physical talent. Guys were double teaming him, knocking him over, putting him on the ground. He said by the end of that redshirt freshman year and into last year, he said, I saw him start to catch on, start to use his hands, start to hold the point of attack. He said, I'm really excited about where this guy can go because he's starting to put it together. 
And I think he could really break out this year, Taylor. So, and look, Taquan Graham, I mean, he's going to be in the three technique. He's going to have some great opportunity to rush uh, because he'll have Joseph Osai next to him. They can't, you know, that's going to open up some lanes for Taquan Graham. Look, it's, I'll, I'll be a total homer and, and don't forget Marquez Bimage and Moro Ajomo. I mean, who knows with Chris Ash and how this thing is going uh, because I think Joseph Osai, even though he's going to be a stand-up linebacker end, I don't know that they would count him as a defensive lineman right? as much as an outside linebacker. So, I, But I still like the, the guys who the, Texas has on the defensive line, and I think they have a chance to, to win this award. I mean, Texas has the most veteran defense, well, the best in veteran defense. Oklahoma State has um, – as many starters back as Texas does, but I, I'm going to love this. Yeah. Keandre Coburn snacks. I'm going with snacks. Going with snacks. I'm going to leave it. Not because I don't, you know, believe in these players. I think that there is definitely a lot of reason to be hopeful for Texas fans that this could happen again. Um, it's just hard for me to assume that with just how little lack of pressure that, and I know it's a totally different scheme. I totally get that. We haven't seen this. We haven't seen this scheme in action. We don't know if it's going to work. We don't know if the players understand it. We really don't know at this point. Now all signs point to it being better, but if we're going off of what some of these guys have shown, they really haven't shown a lot of ability to really rush the passer and get sacks, get plenty of tackles for losses or been the anomaly instances like, you know, Joseph Osai in the Alamo Bowl, obviously he was playing like a man with his hair on fire. But um, as you'd mentioned, we don't, I don't know if he would be considered a defensive lineman or a linebacker, you know, what that Jack position is going to be technically considered. So since I, I guess I'm the glass has half empty person, I guess I'll go ahead and say, I'm going to leave this, but okay. the right. talent's there. And I really, I do think one person who's really talented that hasn't really gotten um, a ton of attention yet. He's gotten some from Texas fans that are the loyal ones, but is Moro Ajomo. I think that that kid, I mean, he's what he's probably, he was 17 for his entire first year of college. So last year is his redshirt. He was redshirt freshman last year, I believe. So he would have just been 18 last year. I think this kid, I think the ceiling's really high for him. I really think that he's somebody to watch, but. And Tavandre Sweat. I mean, we oh, haven't yeah, even, Tavandre, that yep. dude. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's a lot so, of talent. It's definitely there. It's there. Yes. Maybe I'm a year early. I don't know, but <laughs> we'll I see. It. It, yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to happen. Okay. All right. Eventually. Well, uh, Chip, we kind of talked a little bit about this. Well, a lot about this actually in the opening, but um, love it or leave it. Tom Herman has been on point with his message about racial injustice. I think he's, I think, I think this is a, I'm going to love this because um, Tom Herman, I, I feel like, uh, came out quickly and, um, you know, said, hey, uh, my players need to use their platforms to speak out and, and was very supportive um, immediately. And, and then, you know, he, he got some heat for some comments he made to the statesman um, about when he was asked to, 
do most of your fans understand what your players are going through right now? And, and Tom said, no, most fans don't. Mm-hmm. And, and went on to say, you know, our, and I think he was talking about fans in general, but Texas fans probably took it personally when he said they're going to cheer when they score touchdowns or get sacks and they're going to hug their buddy, but are they going to let them date their daughter? Are they going to hire them into their companies? Um, because fans need to see these, these young men as young men, mm-hmm. not just football players. And, and I think it, it's powerful because I do think that, look, there are a lot of rabid fans. I'm a college football junkie. I'm a college football junkie. Do I want to see Brennan Eagles play football this fall? I do. If he wants to play football this fall, if he doesn't, and he feels like there's a a greater good or bigger statement that can be made, then, then he should do that. Right. But these guys are going through a lot right now. And don't forget Taylor, they've been at home. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not on campus. They're not in the hustle and bustle of, football and school and getting up and doing an early workout and then going to class and then trying to get a nap and then getting more schoolwork in and whatever meetings they're at home. They're in their communities where they're hearing directly from their communities and, and having real conversations about what's going on here. And so I think that's a good thing. Right. And then, and then when they, now that they're coming back on campus as they are this week, getting tested, as we talked about getting for COVID-19, getting ready for these voluntary workouts starting on the 15th, then they can come together and, and talk again amongst their teammates, their other family, and hopefully start to process this together. And, and then we'll see where it all lands. But I do think um, I'm going to love this because I think Tom Herman, I think Tom Herman's had a, a really, really good off season. If that's fair to say, I mean, I think doing all the interviews that he did with us at horns, 24 seven and others showing a side of himself other than just those football press conferences, because I, I don't think those press conferences do him a great service. He's got a lot of personality. And he's shown it this offseason. And then he's also shown heart. I don't know if he's had some metamorphosis where he's like matured as a coach and and become more appreciative of his players. I've heard people say Tom needs to spend more time with his players. He needs to go like he needs to let go of the offense and go spend time in the dining hall with his players and ask them how they're doing. Ask them what's on their mind. How's their girlfriend? How's how's life? Yeah. And not ignore them when he sees them. Right. Not, not ignore him or try to be the crazy eyed drill sergeant and, you know, keep the edge in the program all the time. It's a fine line. It's a balance. And I always say, you know, you may not like the way Tom Herman talks in press conferences, but his teams are tough. They play teams close, even when they're totally unprepared. Like I thought they were against Oklahoma last year, they still kept that thing within a touchdown. So but they also play teams uh, close that they should not play close to. So let's hello, they play up and down to their level right, so right. far is what Tom Herman is show. <laughs> right. 
And so let's see. Let's see. Man, we got a lot to look forward to, Taylor. I know that. Yeah. Um, a, college football, please. Please, Lord, have mercy. Uh, please make sure we have some college football. And, and then, yeah, we get to see a lot um, in terms of how these coaches and players come together. And in light of everything, it's, it's, it's got a chance to be really powerful mm-hmm. um, no, matter, no matter what. Yeah. And I, and I agree. I, I'm going to love this as well. Um, I think Tom is doing what he has to do. You know, you can't be a college football coach and the leader of young men making $6 million a year and not understanding the injustices that they have faced because of things like the color of their skin. And if you can't see why that is important, then you should not be a coach. And so I think it is important that Tom has acknowledged this. But now it's about walking the walk too. You can't just sit there and say these comments and then all of a sudden go back to your drill sergeant ways and not relate to your players once the game starts. I mean, that's that's when he needs to show it even more so, you know, in the locker room, behind closed doors, when cameras aren't around, when there are not reporters transcribing every single word that he's, you know, that's coming out of his mouth. Um, so I think that this is a good start and I think it'll be something that he's going to have to practice. You have to practice what you pe- what you preach, you know, and and especially for college football coaches when they're making so much money off of the talents of these young men um, who are not getting paid right now. You know, I think that it's more important than ever that you don't just these words cannot fall like on. They can't be hollow. You know, it has right. to have some type of action and backing to it. So but for now, yeah, I, I think that he's done everything that he should. You know, he's he's be like a lot more personable, how you had mentioned, um, you know, we, in the media, we don't see a very personable side of Tom very often, right? <laughs> you know, some of the first instances of meeting with Tom were not very positive. Um, but, you know, I think that this is hopefully a, a, an awakening for him in a lot of different ways. Right. Right. And I think, uh, you know, when you, uh, when you, when you strip it all down, um, these players are listening to every word. Yeah. And as we mentioned earlier, there are some in some other programs that are coming forward now and saying, you know, this, this culture, or this coach said this and, and they're paying attention to every word right now. So right. you're right. You got to walk it. Yeah. You can have a tough culture without being a jerk. Right. Without I mean, being inhumane. Yeah, exactly. And without, you know, degrading people or anything like that, that's possible. It is possible. And so now you're going to have to see it, I think. Um, All right, Chip. So the final love it or leave it, it's going to be a little bit of a fun one since we've all been quarantined for so long. I think a lot of people have been playing a lot of games. And this this question was at the um, was suggested by Chip. So I want to hear the reasoning behind this. But Chip, love it or leave it. Yahtzee is better than Uno. Ah, you know what? Um, I'm going to leave this and I'm going to say Uno is better. And I'm going to, I'm going to say, I'm going to up the ante a little bit, Taylor. I'm going to say Uno flip is even better than Uno. What's Uno flip? So Uno flip, go to your grocery store, go to the toy aisle okay, and get Uno flip because Uno flip has, um, plus five cards 
on on the other side of the normal Uno cards, and it gets crazy. <laughs> so, and and they have a card that makes you draw until you get a certain color. You you make your opponent draw until you know they get a certain color, and it's it's game changer. Yeah. So I'm I'm all about Uno. My son, uh, my 17 year old son, and I have been playing Uno flip like crazy. So I'm going to love, well, I'm going to leave Yahtzee and, and love Uno, especially Uno flip. There you go. Taylor, I know you're a big, you know, game, (laughs) you know, aficionado. Um, I see your Instagram. You're like, you know, everything from darts to beer pong champion you got trophies for i'm great bar at bar games, games basically yeah you're the bar <laughs> games champ so give it to me i was gonna say can we make uno flip a drinking game because that might be fun yeah because taylor would get, <laughs> give her the trophy yeah if you have to force me to drink i'm going to beat you because i do not like drinking a lot right she's gonna make you drink yes exactly i'm i'm gonna love this just because i love yahtzee i've always loved yahtzee i mean even like when my parents will come and visit the one thing my mom always loves doing with me is playing yahtzee so it's kind of like a family thing that we've done for so many years so i'm gonna love this but i i mean is it weird if i buy uno flip without kids sometimes when we buy games oh, no, like, no, no. yeah you, like, you and your husband <laughs> will spend hours yeah just going back and forth yeah no it's great all right i'll be my my mission this week is to find uno flip yes (laughs) purple box okay good to know um taylor great stuff great stuff uh another uh another fun week here and and a an important week a lot of meaningful conversation uh but fun to talk to charles and who really appreciate him uh getting on with us and and uh, and subscribe to the flagship podcast. Everybody's doing it, so you know, join the herd, and uh, and and give us that five star rating. You know, just for our bosses. Yeah, you know, just cause. And then, um, if you're not a member at Horns twenty four seven, make sure you get that annual membership so that you're getting access to all the VIP content on all the team sites in the twenty four seven Sports Network. All the best analysts. I mean we're the i'm so proud of the 24 7 sports network and the way that we're growing and and the vision of of shannon terry and and um of course our man bobby burton the godfather uh it i just you and i've worked for all the team sites it seems and and this is the best vision this is the best um long-term um customer friendly um you know site that that I think we've ever been on. So oh yeah, really, really fun, exciting times. And, and uh, we know that you're probably subscribed to a couple team sites. Just make sure that Horns 24-7 is one of those. Yes. And, and if you haven't seen 24-7 Social Distance series over on the YouTube page, absolutely go over and check that out. I mean, the even, it, you know, we've, we've had Tom Herman on our show um, they've uploaded that to the YouTube page. We had Chris Del Conte, but Matthew McConaughey joined it. Um, I mean, pretty much Saban. every major, yeah, Nick Saban, pretty much every single power five head coach out there has been a part of this. And it's an unbelievable initiative that 24-7 started. So definitely go check that out too. 
Yeah, no, it's great stuff. And uh, until next week, everybody stay safe and keep the faith. And uh, we'll be right back here on the Flagship Podcast. For Taylor Estes, I'm Chip Brown.